first edition of 773 Sports. I'm with uh, Herb Lawrence here. We're co-hosting this bad boy together. Mm-hmm. I'm comedian Joe Kilgallen. Uh, thanks for checking it out. This is the very first episode. This is a podcast in which we are going to break down the week that was in Chicago sports, probably get into some natural stuff, have some fun with pop culture, you know, all the fun stuff with sports. I feel like uh, we're a big fan of uh, bat flips, touchdown celebrations. There's nothing better in sports right there. Right? Celebrating what your victories are. That's all. That's... There's so few of them. You have to celebrate them. Yeah, I never understood that. I used to joke with people saying that. The old guy at the bar that yells, act like you've been there, has clearly never been there. Exactly. And how hard it is to be there. Like, I've never hit a home run. I mean, when I was in Little League, I hit one one over the fence. And all the rest were just, you know, I had to hustle out those home runs. And when I did hit that home run, I didn't see it. And if I did have that mentality when I was a kid, oh, man, I would have strutted. I don't know if you saw that home run by that minor league player this week where he's high-stepping across the bases. Every base he's touching, he's just like, happy as hell. It's not a game winner. I mean, eventually it was a game winner. It wasn't a walk-off. But that's the type of unbridled joy you need to have for everyone is your successes. Like, life is going to be- beat you down, and especially in sports. You're going to fail more than you win. And when you win, let people know it. I'm 100%, I'm 100% on board with that philosophy right there. Mainly because, and by the way, i got to add to that. I think everyone I know wishes they could redo their home run trot again. Yeah. I hit one. I played like in a co-ed Pasadena league a few years ago <laughs> with a bunch of comedians and comedy writers. Mm-hmm. I'm a comedian. Everyone, you'll get to understand a little bit more about that. And I remember being so mad. And I still think about how I could have done a bat flip mm-hmm. or I could have at least I felt like I just ran too quickly around the bases. And I think that's a metaphor for life right there. Yes. We're here in downtown Chicago. I was, I was waiting for you. I got down here early. Wasn't yeah. anything on you. And it made me think of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. Exactly. It's just too many people are just like, they're real hard ass about it. I think because they're probably yelled at going, don't, sh-. I mean, there's a difference between showing up your opponent and having a good time. Exactly. I mean, if you're, yeah, if you're not looking at the guy and saying, hey, I hit that home run off of you and pointing and doing cartwheels in his face, they should not mind. As one pitcher said earlier in the year, I think it was when Nicholas Castellanos hit the home run um, and then like kind of pimped it out. He's like, hey, man, if I don't want him to do that, I wouldn't throw that bad pitch. So, you know, kudos to him. Next time if he uh, comes up, I'll pitch to him again, and I'll, hopefully I'll get him out. Do pitchers need to do more celebrating? Oh, yeah. They're like, kind of boring a little bit. Yeah. Like, be excited. Be enthusiastic. I mean, remember Jose Fernandez – Everybody loved exactly what he did on the mound. Like when he caught a ball, he would look at a player, and I forgot who it was. Uh, it was uh, Troy Tolowitzki. He's like, you caught that? And he's like, yeah. And they're both uh, jawing back laughing, to each other, yeah. having good times. Yeah. And the same thing. If you got him out, he was like, man, good job. And Miguel Cabrera, when he, somebody strikes him out with a nice pitch, I think one time he like gave him a thumbs up. He's like, good job, man. That was a good, good uh, pitch you got me out on. You need to celebrate that. That's what the game and that's what sports is all about having fun if you're not having fun what are you doing in anything in your whole life if you're not having a good time you're just doing it to, for a paycheck doing it for days to go by that seems uh like a wasted life yeah especially in team sports like baseball especially because mm-hmm. baseball's summertime it's hot dogs it's fireworks it's all that kind of stuff yeah football if you're a defensive end and you don't want to be super friendly with your opponent, that's fine. I mean, I hope they're not like thinking, I'm going to punch you after the game. You don't want that kind of level of psycho. Although on a defensive line, you might need it (laughs) to survive that crazy game. Um, While we're at it, let's shift into that. 
And um, the thing I've been seeing trending on Twitter earlier today was our boy Bears kicker Eddie Pinheiro. Mm-hmm. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Uh, th- the video is him like after the game. I think it's I can't remember who the dude holding the camera was. Um, and he's just like all pumped up, like running, like you know, getting right in the cell phone camera. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, that's what it's about right there. We finally have a kicker. Now let's get the rest of the offense going. Exactly. The Bears won yesterday, everyone, uh, 16 to 14. It was, uh, did I say that's the score right? Yeah, 16 yeah. to 14. A nail biter, I guess. It was a really boring game throughout most of it. Could agree there. It was a crazy ending in which most Bears fans were like already tweeting, 0 2, can't believe it. Yeah. And then 31 seconds later, whatever the time was, had to, you know, flip that tweet around. Uh, what was your first thought? Did you think, wait, is there a second left? Do we even get time? What's going on with this? Yeah, I was watching with my girlfriend, Courtney, and I remember when he hit the ground, it was like two going into one second, uh, and I was like, she's like, oh, no, it's all zeros. It's all zeros they lost. I was like, calm down, baby. We're good. We're really good here. I saw him. He got down. He was down with one second. At the minimum, they'll go and look at the clock. At, uh, at uh, Regular people, regular refs will just say one second is left on the clock because we knew that uh, he was way down and gave himself up and was touched when there was one second down. There's a good picture, uh, I think Danny Parkins retweeted, that shows exactly Mitch calling timeout while Robinson's on the ground getting touched and there's one second on left on the clock. But, yeah, I knew that he would at least get a shot to make that field goal. What I'm tripping off of right there is – Everybody and their mama is so impressed with a NFL quarterback making a 25-yard throw to a wide-open receiver. Man, he put us in a position to win that game. Like that is—it's the lowest of low bars to grade Mitch. Man, if we didn't have Mitch right there to put us in a position, it reminds me of the the NFC playoff game where, where Mitch sucked from three quarters and then he played well in the fourth. Man, he played where to count it. No, it, they yeah, all count. They all count. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that one. And two to three, was it two plays before? Yes. He had an open receiver on the sideline and overshot him by like 10 yards. Yes. I am worried about Mitch, and I'm not a Mitch hater. I drafted Mitch like second to last round in my fantasy football league. Mm-hmm. I already had a quarterback, but I'm like, you know, I'll pick him up as a backup. Fantasy perspective, he actually had some big games last year. Yes. I'm thinking, you know what? He, he could run the ball. He gets some rushing yards. So... I'll, I'll take him. Mm-hmm. I, I believe he maybe he could make some strides this year. We saw some stuff at the end of last year that was encouraging. Yes. Right? Nothing to be like, oh, yeah, this is our guy this year. This was the stepping stone. That's why I think most people are disappointed so far. I was, week one was brutal. And a lot of that I was trying to tell myself, he didn't have a preseason. Mm-hmm. And what about, let's go let's backtrack to that a little bit. What do you think of the new no preseason really for starters? I think it's bad. I think I, it's stupid too. It's like you're more scared of injuries than actual getting prep, prepared for the game. I think those reps are valuable. Going against somebody with live bullets is, you can't replicate that in practice. Because your guys, yeah, while they're going hard, they're not tackling your quarterback. No. They're not trying to tackle your quarterback. They're not trying to tackle the running back going through the hole. It's good for the line, especially the offensive line, to get comfortable, especially when they just moved the center to right guard and the right guard to center. Now the center's making the calls who wasn't making the calls anymore. You get a little comfortability. Like, okay, I see what this guy is all about who's next to me while he's now – like he was next to you last year, but he was on the left side. Now uh, if you are Cody White here, the guy has switched to the center position. You don't have to worry about calls anymore, but you have to worry about him calling the right people out. And so that continuity, they're finding out that during the season, which that's never good. Never, ever good. People are showing you different things, and maybe you haven't seen them before. 
you just got to have some comfortability with the offense, how people, the cadence comes out, how uh, James Daniels snaps the ball to you because you're in the shotgun, how the rookie running back can do the mesh on the RPO. All that things are invaluable. Now they're learning on the fly, which is... Yeah, because there's game speed, especially with a rookie running back. Yeah, and so I don't like that. People are going to get hurt no matter what. You got to persevere through that. Maybe you only play them two games, but you got to play them sometime. Like, you got to give him some type of reps. You got to have Mitch get a rhythm of how the throwing. He hasn't thrown a real game since January. Yeah, I don't understand. And it shows. It does show. He seems to have no touch right now. Mm -mm. Week one, I mean, he did a little bit better yesterday, but week one, I did he check down once? All I remember is snapping the ball and looking to one side of the field and yeah. never turning his head to the other Lock side. Lock it on, yeah. And and that's that's a recipe for failure. And I know because we live in Chicago and the Chicago Bears have this proud history of these you know titans of running backs, starting mm -hmm. with Gale Sayers through Walter Payton and on. Of well, we just got to run the ball more. You're not going to win in today's NFL being a primarily team that runs the ball. Exactly. You have to show a passing game. And I get the whole. I get it, but it's stupid. You, there's a lot of things that a coach could explain. And Nagy, is, he's great on the mic. Yes. I'll give him that. He's got a transparency about him. I dig that. He's not like Fox and previous coaches where you just you want to mute it as soon as he start, starts speaking. The last preseason game, though, you should have given him at least a half. Well, what do you mean snaps? Did he, did he throw any passes in preseason? No, he, he had one handoff, I yeah, think. He had three plays, and he was out. That was it. Like you're acting like he's a ten year vet who doesn't need preseason. Yeah, he's not Tom Brady. Yeah, you know he mean? has never played preseason as the number one quarterback. Really, I don't even know if he played preseason number one quarterback in college. He's thirteen games. He yeah. has his college career. Yeah, they don't have preseason. They just have regular games. Like if we're just even to everybody, like if everybody doesn't have preseason games, fine. When he comes out to the first uh, game versus the Packers or whoever they play. Fine. If that's his first action, that's smooth. That's what college is. Yes. But when you're in the NFL, you got to have the advantage of everybody else. Like if Tom Brady's playing, damn it, you're playing. Get your ass in the game. There's no, hey, I think preseason is garbage. So it's just, that's Nagy's philosophy. And as long as the rules are that, you might as well take advantage of it. Do max protection if you want your quarterback hurt. Do something. Do something vanilla. But make sure your quarterback is safe. Make sure your running back is safe and your number one wide receiver is safe, but you got to get some continuity with live bullets flying. Yeah, this or is people actually trying out for a job. Yeah, yeah, you want that hunger. I feel like you want it's football too. There's only 16 games. Mm -hmm. You can't afford a bad start. The dreaded 0 and 2 start, which the Bears luckily dodged. And I know some people listening might be thinking, "Man, the Bears won and they seem pretty negative." That's how weird that game was. Yes, I remember when the kick was made. I was I put my arms in the air. I was like, "Hell yes, beautiful! Like great kick. Good job, Eddie. We're gonna come up with a fun nickname for you. I'm sure." Yes, free drinks for you, Eddie. And I was happy about that. But then after about five minutes, I remember looking around and texting and talking to some friends, thinking. That still didn't feel good. No, that was the weirdest feeling win ever because it felt like cheap in a way. Even though you're right, we did have that second left. Mm -hmm. I think you were saying to your girlfriend, "No, we got this." I saw him call the timeout. We got one second left and all that. Yeah, but I the way the refs have been, I think the officiating has been atrocious these two games. Did they take preseason off too? Oh Is it a God. whole new set of refs for the regular season? I didn't know who those refs were. That head ref, I did not know who he was, and they called three atrocious. Roughing the passer penalties. Every like, one of those was bad. Like, I don't know. Like, that Bradley Chubb one, I was like, uh, that's not roughing the passer, but I'll take it. We need it. Oh, we needed it. Well, that made up for the one that Floyd got earlier. Yes. Remember when he got one earlier? I think we had another one. Yeah, like, Eddie Goldman. Yeah. Eddie Goldman, thank you. Yeah. 
And uh, Floyd, I, I misspoke right there. It wasn't roughing the pass. It was he just took down the tight end kind of rough. Yeah, it was unnecessary roughness. Yeah. But like he took even... a he did a suplex, but he's behind the guy. Yeah. He didn't do and he like let go before he like piled him into the ground. Like he just tackled him. That's like, basically wh- how you have to tackle from behind. Yes. What like does he want him to push him forward? Get him extra yards? No, you want to take him back. And it so. wasn't even like a old school. I need to think of better wrestling references because this guy's dead. Chris Benoit <laughs> rolling suplex. It wasn't one of those. I mean, it was a standard. I'm pulling you from behind. High school wrestler, not even varsity level. Bring you back suplex. Yeah, Chris Benoit, great, great reference. Right yeah, there. really good reference. I mean, who's he is the new suplex guy in the WWE? I haven't watched in a minute, so I don't know. He was I mean, the best. Could, I mean, also dead is a uh, uh, Kurt Hitting, Mr. Perfect. Oh, yeah. And do the perfect flex to a guy. Yeah, but you got to put them in a headlock, though. Maybe that was the CTE those guys were getting because oh their God. heads go back hard on the canvas, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. They, I think he got tested. He had CTE. So we're going to get a little investigative journalism going, too, on this 773 Sports, which we called that because we wanted to let people know it was a Chicago sports podcast. Mm-hmm. We had a couple fun names, but it turns out other people had those names already. Damn jerks. What is the rule with podcasting if you have the name, but you haven't uploaded a new podcast in two or three years? There was a few that were like that. Yeah. I mean, Tony ran into this. So on Tony Gill, producer who right now on the Lawrence home show he was going to call his podcast something i forgot what it was but it was a bull centric podcast and one guy had it and he hadn't podcast in like six months but the whole bulls community who listens to podcasts came behind came behind this guy who had its podcast and said hey you can't name your thing that it's bad it's bad form and tony relented and named his podcast something else uh but yeah, there was so much uh, strife and so much uh, unnecessary uh, trash talking. I remember I was part of it because a guy was like, "Hey, uh, you shouldn't be doing this." And it wasn't the main guy, the guy who had the podcast. It was the rest of the Bulls podcast nation was kind of you know giving Tony the business. I was like, "Hey, why are you guys speaking for a grown man? A grown man can speak for himself." In which I was speaking for another grown man, which was hypocritical. Whatever. But well, apparently not. The, uh, that grown man doesn't speak at all. He doesn't release any podcasts. Yeah, and it He's was mute. It was so terrible, and we had uh we had it out. We had it. Uh, Tony relented because he's a nice guy. I would have went strong and just kept that same name because Tony's got a little bit more cachet than this guy. But whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, I get but, it. But it wasn't the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. So Tony <laughs> is smart. He's not argumentative like me. So he's a young, level-headed kid. Me, I'm a hothead. Yeah, me and you are both a little bit of hotheads. Uh, that's what we were going to call it, uncoachable. Yes. Uh, are you hearing a little feedback in your headphones? I am hearing a little buzz. So I, I, I want to know if the recording listeners, sorry, this is our very first one, so bear with us on this one a little bit. We both did a mic check. I leaned over, and I think I did something where it loosened one of the... There That's there we go. Oh, that's crisp. All you got to do is turn something. How yeah. about that? You got to fiddle with some stuff. I remember back in the day when you used to have to bang the side of your TV set. Yeah, to blow that in, would work. Yeah, blow into the uh, Nintendo cartridge and then it would work. I remember one time saying to my wife, just unplug the modem for like the internet and plug it back in. And she's like, no way that works. You, if you call the company, they'll tell you to unplug it and plug it back in. You're a damn IT professional. Yeah, just you don't need to go to school for that shit. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the Bears right now, I mean, we avoided the 0-2 star like I was saying. 1-1, one one, that's great. Really happy. Uh, it made me think about something, though, because... In between watching the Bears yesterday, I was catching highlights of the Kansas City Chiefs versus mm. the Oakland Raiders. Now, granted, the Oakland Raiders, though, they beat Denver the week before, so they're 1-0. They're not exactly – although they got a bright future with all those draft picks as long as they don't screw them up. But, again, it's the Raiders. Yes. I don't care if it's Gruden in charge or whatever. You just, you're just not sure. I'm not too confident with them yet. 
I'm watching Patrick Mahomes just throw in bombs. Does he have a few more offensive weapons? Yeah, I guess. But but he, but he lost one. But last he lost week. one. He lost Tyreek Hill. He lost their running back. And Cream Hunt. Yeah. Last yeah. Year. They got a great offensive line. And they lost uh, Shady McCoy. That's true. But I, I just, he's clearly way more talented than Mitch Trubisky. It's not close. It's not close. Yeah. Watson is a little has looks more talented overall. Yes. Um, you can make a case that like oh he might not be elite elite. Mm-hmm. Mahomes is Mahomes as of right now you're thinking this guy might win back to back MVPs. Yeah, he's the best quarterback in the league right now. Yes, including Tom Brady. If the Bears don't make the playoffs, mm-hmm. I think you have to fire Pace. Am I crazy for thinking that? How come this guy's job never gets talked about? It's been what five six years now. Yeah, he because um, he had the last year of Trustman and then three years of Fox or two years of was it three years of Fox? Three years of Fox. Three years yeah. of Fox. Yeah, those were bad years. Yeah, and what people will bring up is well, Ernie Corsi told Fox that he had a job and he's the one who hired John Fox. Like, no, that's Ryan Pace's responsibility. His name's on the placard. He gets to wear the John Fox. He gets to wear the Mitch Trubisky. He gets to wear the Michael, what's that guy's name? The receiver who sucked, who got cut, cut by the Cardinals. Bennett? Kevin White. Oh, Kevin White. Kevin the White. Kevin White thing. He gets, to cu- he gets to wear all these bad signings, these bad draftings. Like the movie, I, I actually don't mind him picking Mitch Trubisky. If he saw him and Nagy saw that Mitch was the guy before the draft, they said, this is the guy that we will wor- work with into the future, fine. It might be the wrong pick, but you got to trust your personnel. You got to trust your instincts. I mind him trading up to get Mitch, where clearly there's other guys that are just as good or better than him drafted, what, 10th and 12th? So I also blame the, the progression, the, the coaching, because uh, Patrick Mahomes wasn't this guy coming out of college. No one thought Patrick Mahomes is this except for Kansas City who traded up to get him. They've made him a MVP, which none of us thought he would be. So their, their player progression, their player personnel from A to B to C makes these guys better. Because yeah. no one heard of Kareem Hunt before they drafted him, and he turned into a good player until he started beating people. And then the same thing for Tyreek Hill. Andy Reid's got with, something going on. Same thing with Kelsey. All these guys, they, they coach up and they make it right. Now the Bears, for the life of me, since we've been – Alive, they've grabbed. They've grabbed great linebackers. They grabbed great running backs, but quarterback always seems like a problem. I don't know why. Like we thought, this Matt Nagy thing would have worked out, but yes, I agree with you. It's still 100%. early. Still, I'm trying to if remind this, myself. <laughs> if this pace thing, if they don't make the playoffs this year, I don't know if I fire him necessarily. But if they do, I'm like, you know what? That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah, I mean. I think it'd be, it'd be well within, like, you, you wouldn't argue it too hardly. Yeah. Because I just think, look, he's made some great draft picks in the middle rounds. But Jerry Angelo was like that, too. I felt like he was always finding steals in, like, third, fourth, fifth round. I mean, Pete Untillman, Lance Briggs, yeah, some late-round guys, middle-round guys. But why is it that we fail in the first round so often? It's, it's a shame. Like, Leonard Floyd is hasn't it? shown out until, like, late last year and early this year. He was a first-round draft pick. I think they traded up to get him. And same thing with Kevin White, as we discussed earlier. He has failed on a lot of them. I'm glad he doesn't have any the last two years because he went and got 
the best player in defense in the league. Yeah, Khalil, Khalil Mack. That's why I was so pumped about the Khalil Mack trade, and I thought it was a no-brainer. I remember talking to people like you know a few days before it actually happens, and the Bears should 100% do it. And someone saying, "Well, what if it costs this many first-round picks?" I don't care. Yes, he's a generational talent, and we suck at drafting at that time anyway. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, you're right. You did make some sense to me about Patrick Mahomes. He wasn't as highly sought, like touted coming out of college. As a matter of fact, people mostly thought that that draft as a whole was kind of weak QB-wise. Yes. Um, I liked Watson because he was a winner in college, and I think you know he, he looked like he had enough talent where he could be coached up. Yes. Mitch, I just didn't know enough about from some of the few highlights I saw. I'm like, all right, kid looked like he had some moxie. Yeah. Looked like he had some presence in the pocket. Mitch but was drafting. win to run, too. Yeah, he was drafting on potential. Not, hey, this is what I've done. And here's my whole portfolio. That's Watson. They had seen years of him doing things. Won a national championship against one of the best defensive minds we've ever seen, Nick Saban. And did it pretty easily. So if Mitch gets drafted by KC, is Mitch like right think, up there, all pro? I don't think he's that be- that good, but I think he's better. Yeah. Better than he is. The Kansas City Chiefs, I realized, have become like what the Houston Astros do at pitching. Yes. Where you're like, wait, I, th- I knew this guy was good, but what is happening? Down- what are they doing in Houston? Kansas City's doing that with offensive talent yeah, right now. Yeah, Wade Miley, like the example, Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton? Like, yeah. I would have thought, like, oh, the steakhouse? Like, I never would have thought <laughs> anything about that guy. And he's, it's continued success because he's dominating with Tampa Bay. Yeah, he's taking what he's learned in Houston and taking it in Tampa Bay. That's why maybe uh, the White Sox should look into uh, maybe a White Wade Miley or a uh, guy down there in Garrett Cole who will cost way too much, but whatever. Um, th- yeah, what your point is. They've made people who you really didn't give any thoughts about. When they got Alex Smith, I was like, that man is trash. And then later on in his career, in his Kansas City career, he led the league in throwing the ball down the field in touchdowns, too. If you make Alex Smith serviceable, there is something going on. Andy Reid, that Kool-Aid man guy, he's got something going on, right? Yeah, he's a genius. (laughs) He made – I mean, think about that. Out Out of jail, he made Michael Vick almost an MVP. Out of jail. Like, by Donovan McDaniel. You get a lot of good cardio in prison. Get out of here. So it's not like. And Michael Vick's our guy. I was watching some movie where it was a prison scene where they're all working out. And that is one of the things that always cracks me up about prison is that they're constantly lifting weights and working out. I understand it's, you know, you want them to have exercise time and stuff like that. But it's kind of weird that we're sending them back out more ripped than they came in. Exactly. They Now they can do a little bit more better things in, in their criminal lives. They can uh, run a little faster. I don't mind them shooting some baskets here, working on an outside <laughs> J, but coming out sculpted guns and, and six-packs. That's Mark Wahlberg. He was in jail when he was like 19 or 20. He came out. He became Marky Mark. Yeah, wasn't he like calling people the N-word or messing with the Asian people? I think it was maybe, people? but it was, def- it was definitely Asian. Asian people, yeah. 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 He like robbed someone and beat somebody he up. He beat up, I think, a Korean grocery store clerk or something or yeah. the owner. Yeah, not something good. Something like that. No, not I mean, good at all. I mean, I default to Boston people being always racist, so that's probably like the best thing a Boston person's ever done. Bill Burr called Boston a racist San Francisco. Because <laughs> it has like the culture, it's like the it's right li- size for a city. It's liberal. It's liberal. It's charming, but it's just racist as hell, though. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've never been, but and that's part of the reason. But I've I met got, great people from Boston, but so I need I, to go. I feel like it always. Whenever you meet people from there outside of the setting, I feel like it it breaks down the stereotype. Yeah, I know? haven't met him, but I comedian Mike Malloy, who hates Marky Mark, by the way. And he lives in L.A. now. I know Mike. He hates everybody. Oh, does he? <laughs> no, not like really. But he just he's funny on Twitter. Yeah, and he is a big-time hater of uh, Boston and Boston people. But he loves the, the sports teams, though. 
He's he's a typical Boston guy. Loves the sports scene, but didn't seem uh, racist though. I'm so, I'm so fine jealous with that. of the. Yeah, I think most of them probably aren't racist. Although it definitely that cartoonishness comes out of Boston. Just like like Chicago's that way too. I think people around the country probably think of Chicago as this big racist city too. Oh yeah, a little bit, right? Yeah, but I don't think it's 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 extreme. not as known as Boston. Yeah, because we're so separate. You know, we're segregated here. It you don't get it all, as often. I've never been to Boston or uh, been to Boston, so I don't know if they're like living in the same place. I've heard Southeast just a big time ghetto with a bunch of white dudes. It is. It is basically like like the worst white neighborhood in the country, I think. Yeah. So it's just a bunch of working class and put those in parentheses, so that means white people, poor just, white people. It's a bunch of Irish trash, and I can say it, everybody. <laughs> I think I'm okay to say that. Uh, uh, anyway, well, we'll yeah, Boston, man. The, the, New England looks unstoppable again. And, well, the Red Sox, all right, well, no, let's, let's stick a little bit more with football here. I, I, I wanted to talk to you about general, because I figured from going from talking about Pace as a general manager. Yeah. And talking about the Cubs front office. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit here. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to a lot of Bears stuff throughout. This is the first episode, everybody. So we're going to try to hit Bears, Cubs, Sox. And then obviously when Bulls and Blackhawks roll around, we'll get to that. Yes. And then we'll talk about fun stuff like uh, what famous celebrities were in jail for uh, hate crimes for, and yeah, things like that. Yeah, for hating Asians. Yeah, I mean, it was 20 years ago. I think Mark Wahlberg has probably amended himself a little bit since then. I don't know if he's a bad guy anymore. Probably he is. He does still. a lot of charity stuff. He works out at 3 in the morning yeah, with The one, Rock. Yeah, once you hate Asians, it's not. It's hard it, to it stop hating Asians. doesn't come back? Asians. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, yeah, there's that SNL thing. Man, we could talk a whole thing about people <laughs> hating on Asians right now. All right, but uh, the Cubs now, winners of four straight, huge weekend, beating up on a terrible Pittsburgh team, but that's what you got to do. You got to play your schedule. Yes. Scored their most runs since 1893. Unbelievable. Going into that, though, the whole week before this nice little four-game uh, turnaround, I'm seeing, I got too involved in Cubs Twitter. Okay. Now, there's, there's some great follows on there that I like a lot, but... Twitter, like a lot of these social media platforms, they, they go, oh, you like this? Here are people you don't follow, and here's this, and here's that. And I start to see so much negativity. Now, there's a lot to be upset about with the 2019 Cubs. They're not, they haven't been a very fun team to watch. They haven't played to their potential. Um, just really inconsistent. But what I don't understand is how people will say they suck. I see that a lot. And I know that's the world we're living in now where it's either something's great or it's terrible. There's no in-between. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like Dave Matthews Band. I know people who either love them or hate them. I've never met someone who's like, oh, the Dave Matthews Band, they're fine. they got a couple songs I like. They're okay. Mm -hmm. it, that's where it's like. I, I literally hear people go, 2019 Cup, they suck. Terrible. I'm like, they're, they're in the hunt. Yeah. They're two games out of first place now. But even at the time, people were saying they sucked when they were in first. I, all the time. And I would be like, as a White Sox fan, I'd be like, calm down, Cub fans. It's fine. Like, I wish I would murder multiple people for the White Sox to be in their fourth year of playoffs and then their fifth year of being in contention for the playoffs again and only needing to get in the playoffs to maybe go for another World Series run. Yeah, I get it. Last year was disappointing. You won 95 games, get out in one game. But I think the Cubs Twitter and the culture is, yeah, it's toxic, and Twitter in general is, but Cubs Twitter in general, like specifically, is like, man, everything is terrible. We have a horrible manager, apparently, Who's taken us to four straight postseason player uh, appearances, and we have um, Chris Bryant's terrible. Of yeah, course, you get we, that got, one we, a lot. we have to trade him because David Bodie can replace him. <laughs> um, every single guy that comes up is the the savior. So is Nicholas Castellanos, and then Ben Silvers came up. Is like, oh my god, he's so great. And then Nick Nico Horner, Nico Horner comes up. Oh my god, he's so great. 
these hey, keep on he happening. Is great. <laughs> I mean, they they've all shown out, but like it's extreme. So it's like, man, yeah. Nico Horner has brought something to the to the clubhouse that they didn't have before. Oh, Ben Zobers brought something to the clubhouse that they didn't have before. Nicholas Castellanos has a good time every day is opening day. They didn't have that before. Yes, but also they're good players. Just say they're good players. They're good don't, players. Yeah. They, I don't care what they bring to the clubhouse. Nicholas Castellanos could be that same guy in hitting two fifty. You'd be like, that guy fucking sucks. Get him off my team. But he's hitting like 300, and he has like 20 bombs as a Cub. That's why he's good. Not because of the garbage overarching, what is that, uh, that, that thing people want to make, intangibles that people want to make up. Oh, we got Ben back in there. He's a leader. That's why we're winning. <laughs> no, you're winning because Anthony Rizzo led off, and he was great at it. He was excellent. He got on base. He's a great leadoff hitter. He really yes. is, though, actually. Yes. <laughs> you have a great leadoff hitter. That's, you, you saw what happened. They put him at leadoff, remove him from that. and they scored 47 runs in the weekend. Then he got hurt, and the shit's over now. They're going to lose tonight to the Reds. That's a guarantee. They're going to lose two out of three. <laughs> and, yeah, it's terrible, Cub fans. Don't you're say gonna, that. You're going to make I know. the playoffs. Like everybody in the Brewers is like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna smoke because we play in all bad teams. But they're not good versus bad teams. They're actually good versus good teams. They play like the Padres and the I forgot who else. Down they the have stretch. played down to competition. Yeah, which is strange. I mean, one of the things I remember a friend of mine's dad was a huge gambler, mm-hmm. and he talked about. I remember the the Bears had beaten someone they shouldn't have beat. It okay. was like an upset. Yeah, and he said the next week that he was gonna bet what the team they were playing. Plus the points. And I go, really? They should smoke that team. He goes, trust me, good teams will naturally get themselves up to play their competition. Mm-hmm. But there's always that letdown the next week. Yes. And the difference is, I don't know who the coach with the Bears with at the time. This was like when I was in high school. He goes, this guy is not a good enough coach to, to make sure that they stay like head in the game. Okay. And he was right. The next week, they ended up winning. But it was like, I think it was like a Mike Brown interception return, one of that season. Oh, the- well, I can't remember who it was against. But it was like 2001 or something like that. Yeah. So I was like a sophomore. In high school, and I was like, "Wow, you called that?" And he's like, "Yeah, I could tell because I just know that they weren't—they were going to play down because they had that big high." Mm-hmm. And I think the Cubs kind of do that. They see who's on the calendar. I remember that that Mets series. Oh, they're facing Thor. Oh yeah, facing Degrom on the road. Yeah, on the road, they're going to get smoked. I think Cubs uh, players and saw Stroman, that. Yeah, yeah, the Cubs. Oh, Stroman. I've totally forgot about him because it's weird to think that he's a Met now. Uh, they Cubs players probably heard that, probably saw that, and was like, "No, we'll show them." And then they got themselves jacked up. Yeah, didn't they sweep that? I did. They did. They swept the Mets that series. Yeah, and I thought that too. I looked at that. I was like, man, that's a that's a daunting task. Those are three was great pitchers. Yeah, and it looked like it. That was also on the road, so they're still having road woes at the time. And yeah, I thought this series where they're going to uh, beleaguered uh, Brewers for four, and then four for the Padres. I was like, you know, six out of eight. I thought no. so too. Three out of four from the Brewers got three out of four, and then they split with the Padres. So they could have split with Milwaukee. It's back with the Twitter thing. I see all these tweets about wanting to get rid of Theo, wanting to get rid of Joe. Um, I, I'll admit, I have. I'm a. I'll always love Joe because mm-hmm. 2016, and he. And I really do like his approach to some stuff. But I almost think he has gotten a little too cute this last season and a half. Okay. And a, and he's almost stubborn in how he doesn't. Like I think he thinks to himself, I'm thinking outside the box. But when you're st- when you're always outside the box and so outside the box, it's that becomes a box. Yes, if that makes sense. Yes. And I look at this lineup, and a lot of people's like, well, this offense needs massive change. 
And I don't know if they need massive change. I look at it and I go, all right, Anthony Rizzo's got an OPS of around 900. Chris Bryant's now up to like 945 or something. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get rid of Javi Baez? No. Wilson Contreras, when healthy, is unbelievable. He's like an elite catcher, probably the best in the National League, top three in baseball. Uh, I look at, who else am I missing? Hayward. Um, Hayward, you're stuck with that contract, so he's not going it's anywhere. It's like 750, 800. Yeah, it's fine. It, but he's fine with that defense, and yeah. he's a leader, so I'm, I'm okay with that. You don't need an all-star at every position. But at one point, I was looking at the OPS, which, I mean, you know, there's other stats. Mm-hmm. I like uh, like Fangraphs, what they do with WC uh, wins. I'm sorry, how, weighted runs created plus is a yes. cool stat. Um, but if you just go off of OPS, which is just, I think is that that is like the new bridge stat. Yes. You got the old heads going, what's the batting average? And then all the new guys are like, well, his win probability added, and then his WOBA. And, then, you know, yeah. I like OPS is the one stat I feel like both sides go, all right, I get that. They were all like, they had like seven out of the eight regulars above 800. Solid. That's, and there was like no, besides like, I think the Yankees have a better offense. Mm-hmm. The Astros have a better offense. I think the Cubs' offense is slightly better than the Dodgers, but you could go back and forth with that. The Dodgers yeah. have performed better, yeah, but you know, not as insanely better. Atlanta's got a good offense, but right there, it's like a top five. I look at most of the stats; it's fourth in the NL, but there is an inconsistency there. So I said to myself, "Why is it inconsistent?" And I really do believe some of this does fall on Madden. Mm-hmm. I used to think lineup configuration was the most overrated thing in the world. I'm like, mm-hmm. what does it matter? Like they're all gonna, you know. Yeah. But now I think it doesn't matter for a young team. I think it played well in Tampa because they were so young. Mm-hmm. It played well here his first few years because they were so young. But when these players become veterans, I think they start to get to the, like, like okay. When I was 22, I had no problem fighting for that spot. But I, I don't like coming to the ballpark every day and seeing where I'm, like batting third here, batting sixth here. Yeah, I'm an established veteran. I think I should be here, here, here. Or you know, I hit well at the sixth spot. Stop moving me to leadoff, yeah. Kyle Schwarber. It would be like that. Yeah. Kyle Schwarber, since he's got a leadoff spot, excellent. He's got a 9, like 80 OPS in the second half. He's been unbelievable. Yeah. like, And that's the thing, too. Man, I know he's inconsistent, but so many Cub fans hate Kyle Schwarber. Like, that man's – what he is is what he is. You, Yes, he was talked up to be Babe Ruth. That was nonsense. He's going to be a mid-200 average guy, so 240s, 230s. But he's going to slug 500, and he's going to get yes. a base 3, 340. So he's going to be a beast. He's going to be in the mid-800s uh, OPS. And he plays a better left field than people realize. Exactly. They just look at his body type and like, oh, no. But his, uh, he, he doesn't lose that many uh, runs. He doesn't. And I think uh, last year he was actually uh, adding some runs. Uh, he was. No, he was last year he was really good defensively. He had an overall like 3.3 or 3.4 war on fan graphs. His war defensively down this year because play, teams don't run on him anymore. Yeah, there's a that's a flaw with defensive war on fan graphs is if you help hold a runner to a base, you know, guys would be like, I'm gonna it go just, first to third. Yeah, it doesn't. They don't show that. Yeah, so that's why he's gone down a little because his assists have gone down. Where first teams were testing him, I think Kyle Schwarber was a butcher in left field when he first came up, but he is an athlete. This guy was like an all-state middle linebacker in Ohio. And and now he's figured it out. I don't think he's elite, yeah. but he's definitely average to above average. He'll have a play every now and then where you're like, what was that? Yeah. But most of the time, he's really good. It takes time because he wasn't a natural left fielder. He was a catcher coming out of college. So you got to understand when a left-hander hits the ball, it's going to slice away from you. It's going to slice towards the wall. Right-hander is going to go more to center or stay uh, true. So you got to understand where, and especially in Wrigley with that well, so you're not going back to that wall, hitting it at full speed. You got to adjust. And so it seems like he has learned how to play left field correctly in Wrigley Field. I thought he was a career DH. 
maybe eventually he will be. Maybe in his thirties. Over but. the yeah, I, I wouldn't. I would think his next contract would be smart to be with an AL team. Yeah. Although the DH is probably coming to the NL. It should. You and I are both big fans of that idea. Yeah. I mean, more hitters, people like you don't have to watch Jose Quintana bat ever again. Isn't that the greatest thing of all time? Yeah. It's. I know some people are like, well, there's strategy and all that. Yeah, sure, but why is it that baseball is not allowed to change? Football changes rules every single year. People complain for a week or two, but they still show up and watch every Sunday. Every time. The NBA changes a major rule, hand-checking within the last decade and a half. Mm-hmm. And they still will add, they'll tinker here or there, hockey the same way, but baseball, any little change in baseball, they act like it's amending the Constitution. Exactly, and you won't have uh, Anthony Rizzo hurt yesterday because Trevor Williams, the pitcher, is bunting because he's a pitcher and the guy on first, so he's got to bunt the guy over to second. So you wouldn't have uh, Anthony Rizzo in there trying to field the ball, rolling his right ankle and being out for an extended period of time. So that means less bunting? Ooh, I'm into that. Yes. It's, it's boring. It's the dumbest The only thing bunts I want to see are from some slap hitter. If you got like a Juan Pierre type who's going to give me like a nice cool bunt down the line unexpectedly, great. But the sacrifice bunt is one of the most boring things in sports. It's giving up a, an out. You yeah, only have 27 of them. Exactly. And that's why I try to tell people about batting average. Stop looking at batting average. Look at on base percentage because it, it, it brings batting average into it, encapsulates it. Mm-hmm. And also it's outs. Find me players who don't make as many outs. When I see a 400 on base percentage, I go, oh, that guy doesn't make outs. Or yes. he makes less outs. Yes. Joey, Joey Votto for his career. It's a 400-plus uh, OPS guy or uh, on-base guy. Give me that guy. Give me that guy who will take a walk or he'll get a rocket shot somewhere. Don't care. I don't care how you get on base. Get on base. Yeah. Anthony Rizzo. Most of his, like, uh, probably like a, a, yeah, but say a third <laughs> of his time he gets on is either walks or getting hit by a pitch. Get on base. That's why I realized, too, what a perfect leadoff hitter he is. I wish he was a little faster, and he needs to know he's not fast. He had a terrible base run and play the other day, but oh, yeah. we were up by 12 runs, so he didn't care so much. Some, I love you, Anthony, but, dude, you're not quick. There needs to be an intervention for that guy to be like, stop it. He's, had some, he's not had a good base running season, but I love him as a leadoff hitter because he's on top of the plate. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, man, if I'm a pitcher, I don't, wanna, I don't want the first guy yes. to have to shrink my zone like that. And he does. So I think that's why he's drawn several walks, or they put it right in his box and he jacks it out of the park. Exactly. Like, I, you have to be some type of tough to get where he's at on the plate. He's over the plate. He is like daring him to pitch it right down the middle. And Anthony's like, baby, let's go. And if you don't, if you miss your spot just a bit, he's going to take that, uh, that hit. He'll, he even lifts his uh, front leg up over the plate. So even if you are pinpoint control and it's just on the corner, Hit his knee, it's over. He's going to first base. So yeah, you gotta have some type of toughness to to firstly stand up there, and then secondly, when your pitch does come and when it's over the plate, deliver it to left field, deliver it to the right center field bleachers, like yeah. he does often. I like it. I mean, stolen bases have gone down as a hole in baseball, so you don't you don't need uh you know that old Vince Coleman type leadoff hitter. It's exciting to watch. Don't get me wrong, but if the lineup construction and I, and a lot of Cubs fans look, well, you got to fix leadoff in the off season because Anthony should be in third or fourth. I don't even know like who's available. People need to realize too. A lot of these teams that get your Whit Merrifields don't just give them up. No, they're hard to come by. These guys. There's just not as many. You know, and I don't think there ever was. People like are remembering things wrong. Like in if this was the '80s. That uh, Tony Kemp guy would be leading off of the Cubs every day, no matter what. Like, because even though he's terrible at getting on base and hitting, he steals bases. He's fast. He's a fast black. Let's put him out there. <laughs> Let's put him out there first. Like, no. 
Like, Kansas City did it perfectly when they had uh, Terrence Gore or any other fast black. They wouldn't play him at all. And then with the seventh inning, somebody slow got on base, they would play him, and he would be the pinch runner. He would steal second, steal third, they'll score a run. Perfect. Those guys are the – if you got one of those guys, cool. Don't play him every day. Um, the perfect thing about those guys – well, the imperfect thing about those guys is they try to steal, and they steal with their hands first. Yeah. As we already saw with Javi, he's got uh, torn up hands. Last year, the same thing happened with Mike Trout. I think this is the way that players are going to get away from sliding head first. You're missing time from key players because you're stealing bases, you're diving head first. These are your most important things, your hands in baseball. Everybody needs them. So why would you put them in risk? I know it's better when Javi does those slides and they're swimming and it looks pretty, but you're missing them right now. Even though Nico Horner is giving you a lot, wouldn't it be better if Nico Horner's at second and you're getting Javi at, at short and yeah. getting this type of production? That like, is, you can't be missing these guys. And that's why steals and these those type of leadoff guys are gone by the wayside because we realize that steals, unless you're stealing at an 85% clip, will cost are, you runs. Exactly. It will cost and you. then you're sliding into second and you're missing time with a little hand injury, finger injury. I know they got those mitts now that – don't you know you can't jam your fingers, but Javi didn't they could have jam one of those. shoulders on. That's what her Chris Bryant last year. Yeah, so like in a game in May, he slid in it should to be third base. All yeah. feet, like feet first slides, unless I don't know, last second you gotta avoid a tag, whatever. But I just uh, I just hate head first slides. You know, it's part of the game. It's been part of the game forever. I never wanted to do it when when I was playing. I remember this kid, uh, Joey Martinelli, was one of the best players on our team. He we saw the X-ray because he oh. broke his pinky sliding in the third. Uh-huh. The top part above the knuckle was off the bottom part. Uh. That's how messed up his finger was uh. on the X-ray. Yeah, I mean, Mike Trout being hurt really sucks too because you and I are such big Mike Trout fans, and yes. we're just like, why isn't he a household name? And I felt like this would have been the year where at the end of the year in the playoffs they'd be like, Mike Trout, fifty home run guy. Because he was on pace for 50, and yeah. now he's going to miss the last two weeks. And it would have came down to the wire anyway. I think he was like 44, 45, I think, mm-hmm. tied with Jorge Soler, which I'm seeing on Cubs Twitter. People <laughs> want him back. The guy was injured every year. And he got great quality relief performance from Wade Davis. Yeah, he was an all-star closer for us that year. Wade Davis was, was our, our lone all-star. was perfect up until I think he blew one game in late September that didn't yeah. really hurt us too badly. Filthy. Yeah, I mean, you get one year of an elite closer in exchange for four years of an injury-plagued, really fifth outfielder. I'm not even going to call him a fourth outfielder. He's really the fifth outfielder. I know Jorge had that one great playoff run, but even every year of his minor league career, he's spent time in the the Mm -hmm. IL now. I I just think, like, it's all... It's all stuff where it's like, you really are you really going to blame Theo for that? Because if they don't make that trade, they keep Jorge Soler that year. Where does he play on the 2017 Cubs? Not at all. You're going to move Jason Hayward to center? No, because remember, we were high up on Elmora. Yes. So that would have put Elmora on the bench. Mm-hmm. Or do you platoon Schwarber and Soler? Sure. Then, then he doesn't blossom the way he is now anyway. Jorge Soler needed to go to a team that wasn't going to compete so they could say, yeah, we'll let that guy go out there for 600 at-bats. We'll give him a spin because he's cheap right now. He's got a high upside, but we're not really planning to compete this year. A team like the Cubs, we just did no room for him because the 2017 Cubs, you wanted to give Elmore a good look. You wanted to give Schwarber a look after the World Series. He had hit 412 in the World Series to come back the year where he missed the whole season. The man came back from a knee injury from April and then dominated in October. It almost makes me wonder if Schwarber had not had that month and a half of leading off. He probably would maybe have closer to 40 home runs. He's got 36. Maybe he'd have 40 because he might have been more relaxed. I think he was pressing a little bit as a leadoff. Yeah, it's, it's an uncomfortable position. Even though it's just another place in the lineup, 
guys probably feel like they probably grew up like, oh, lead off, I got to get on base. Yeah. I got to do whatever I got to do to get on base. And that's not Schwarber's game. Schwarber goes up and say, you know, I need to hit the ball uh, center left. So I need to, you know, drive the ball. And he, that's all he's thinking now. He's like, I need to drive the ball center left. And whatever I do, that ball will carry because I got enough power to get there. Instead, he's like, okay, I should take a couple more pitches. I should get on base by walking. I should do this. He's out of his mind. And same thing with uh, Hayward. He was having a great season. And I actually. Now he's hitting again now that he's back in the lineup. Yeah, yeah. I actually advocated for him to be a leadoff guy. He's a career 360 on base guy. I was like, okay. I did too. Like, hey, maybe that he'll just continue to be the guy he was. No, he was a bum as a when we hitter. were wrong and we can admit that huh do other podcast hosts admit when they're wrong no no they don't that's the difference here at 773 sports but as getting back to what we said earlier we will celebrate the hell out of things that were right though oh yeah gonna, we, you will not hear the end of it you will hear me doing pelvic hip thrusts <laughs> over the microphone get a camera in here i'll do the suck it that's what pitchers could do after a strikeout good old kenny powers suck it mm-hmm. that's how they can celebrate a strike three but then you got a guy like max scherzer if he's striking out 17 that's going to be he's going to be tired. tired yeah he's going uh, his arm's going to be tired and his hips are going to be affected by that his wife's going to be yelling out hey save some for me big boy <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if she goes to games he married he's probably married with those creepy eyes great pitcher though hopefully we don't face him in the wild card game let's slide over to your white socks Ugh. Okay. I know, I know, but hey, there has been some. You got your Tim Anderson, you got your Yom Mankata, right? Uh, Eloy Jimenez has shown some a big bat at times. Yes. Um, Jose Abreu, who doesn't look like he's aging, although you're probably thinking, why would we still have him? Yeah. I know you weren't a fan of the, him sticking around. No, I'm still not. Um, I don't care how he does at the end of the season. He might finish, finish off a good year. I initially wrote by, what was it, um, Probably at the All-Star game, right after the All-Star game. He made the team, so everybody's like, man, I'll bring you a great year. And I wrote on Twitter, I was like, mm, he's not having a good year. It's like, it doesn't mean he's having a bad year, but by metrics and all the metrics at the time, he was like a .7 uh, fangrass war. So, like, most of that is because he doesn't walk at all. At all. He's like a 5% walking guy. And he's a terrible first baseman. And at the time, there people were looking – well, he has 100 RBI. I was like, that's team dependent. Yeah, it that's is. A, that's, it a, is. A, that's a garbage stat. So take his 33 home runs. He drove himself in for those. So he has 33 RBIs. All the rest are team dependent. Yeah, you need guys in front of you. That's what I really – I used to be one of those dudes, too, that thought RBI was the most important stat. Yeah. And then I read a, a baseball – I think it was a baseball prospectus produced book called um, – the book was called How Everything You Know About the Game is Wrong. Yeah. I think it came out in like 05 or 06. And they talked about the RBI stand. They used examples of guys who had like 115 RBI, 120 RBI seasons, but didn't hit well with runners in scoring position. Yes. It's just they like Joe Opportunities. Carter. Opportunity. Yeah, yeah, Joe Carter, like one year, it's like, well, yeah, he had Robbie Alomar and John Oler were batting in front of him, and both those dudes lived on base. They were both like, John Oler was like hitting 45 doubles. And, yeah. And Alomar was stealing bases and getting on it like a 420 clip or something crazy that one season. Yeah, and that's the thing with Jose Abreu. I mean, Larry Garcia only gets on like 35% or 31% of the time, but Mankata's like almost about 400. And when Timmy was in front of him, he was like 36%. Timmy barely walks too. That's the problem with the White Sox. They don't hit home runs and they don't walk, which yeah, is. Tim Anderson does not walk. It's, I think it's like a 4% walk rate or 3%. Yeah, which is weird because he leads the league in hitting right now. That's uh, There was a stat just released uh, that he's a rare company of people hitting, um, winning the batting title. With the with low walk rates under five percent, and it's like six guys, and he's one of them. And I just want him to win it so he can feel vindicated. He didn't make the All Star team. He shouldn't have made the All Star team. There's a lot of good shortstops in the AL and the NL. 
and feel vindicated that this year was a great year for him. Good year in his progression. Still needs a little better defense, um, if I'm being truthful. But it's nice to see him stepping from a 270 guy to a 330 guy, and whatever that means. I think his bobip is way high, so that, that might- it is. I mean, I didn't think it would continue. I remember looking at his stats in May or June, thinking uh, this is like on this is kind of there's a lot of luck happening yes, right here. It's not sustainable because it just didn't seem sustainable. Because usually people with walk rates like that, it just eventually will start to catch up to you. Yes, and it hasn't. So. Maybe I mean, he's an outlier. I don't know. Yeah, there's very few of those people. Like um, last, he's uh, fun. I love that guy. Let's though. see. Avi Garcia had one the year he was good, but he's a guy. Avi Garcia used to hit the ball on the ground a lot, but he beat out a lot of infield singles, which surprising speed by Avi Garcia. And since then, he hasn't. You know, his uh, bobip has normalized and his average has gone back down. Hopefully, it doesn't happen to Tim. He can be a little bit more patient at the plate because I see him in this lineup in the future as a two hitter. And setting the table up for Mankata, who I think is their future three hitter. He's he's a beast. He's a top yeah. ten player if he stays healthy every year. For you novices, uh, Bobip is batting average on balls in play, mm-hmm. which a league average is about three hundred. So if you're looking up a guy's stats and he's only got like two forty, two forty five, that means he's been getting unlucky. Yeah, typically. It's, it's, yeah, and that's uh, to go back to the Cubs. I remember early in the year maybe June, July, people were really railing on Chris Bryant because his runners and scoring position average was in the ones. Then I looked at his career runners and scoring position, it was in the threes, uh, average-wise. And then his bobbit with runners and scoring position this year was like at 145. I was like, a correction's coming, guys. Yeah. Calm down. Yes, he might not be clutch right now, and put those in quotes, clutch, but he'll be clutch eventually, which subsequently he has. And his clutch stats... The le- uh, what late and close in seventh inning, he's pretty much where he was in his whole career. So that's what I'm wondering about the White Sox. If Tim Anderson is going to continue this progression to being, uh, it doesn't even have to be a 300. We discussed this. The average really doesn't mean anything. I want him to be a 350 on base guy, which he is, but barely because of the hitting, not because of the walking. Yohan Mankata is progressing to a top 10 player. Now they need a guy like Anthony Rendon, which is going to cost a lot of money. And then what I hate about White Sox fans, most of them are like, you can't move Tim from, or you can't move Yohan from third base. We just moved him from second to third. He's good at third base now, and that's why he's hitting. It's like, no, he's hitting because he's good. If he plays short or second base and blocks Nick Magical, great, because he's great. But Anthony Rendon's going to play third base for the White Sox if they sign Anthony Rendon. He's a great glove. Yohan's a good glove. Anthony's a great glove and a better bat. Yeah, he's elite. I think he's one of the most underrated players in baseball. Yes, Anthony and Rendon. so that's would be perfect for the White Sox. We need those type of guys. But most White Sox fans are looking at a filling a need, so right field, and so they downshift to players. So Ozuna or bringing in Puig. I'm like, no, we can also bring them in, but let's get the best players available and then sort out what we have afterwards. That's what I... I don't understand about White Sox fans. We're like, Nick Madrigal going to play second base next year because some because he's a good uh, minor league player now. It's a cool name. That's why. <laughs> uh, it's real nice. You can you can go right into Magical right there. Yep. But imagine if you had Yoan instead there, and then you had third base Rendon. You have Yomer Sanchez at be a fifth outfielder like he's always supposed to be. 
who was he uh, cousins with again? <laughs> exactly. Brother-in-law. Exactly. That was the funniest offseason move oh, I've ever seen. God. Every other day, it felt like general manager Rick Hahn was signing a new one of Manny Machado's buddies. He's, this is Manny Machado's dog walker. He's going to come in. Uh, we, we got him. We got Manny Machado's favorite florist. He's opening a shop across the street. <laughs> and um, and pretty we think Manny's going to sign with us. We've offered him $120 million spread over 17 years. We think it's fair. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's the best deal out there. It's the most money o- overall if he if he just plays well when he's 36 and 37. I don't on. know why I gave Rick Hahn a Chicago? SNL Chicago accent. Like, it was an over-the-top. It just felt like he doesn't he just, sound like that at all. I mean, he deserves it. I mean, he kind of does a little he, bit. Yeah, he's not. He's yeah. He's got he, a bit of a pass, I feel like. Yeah, he's overloved. Yeah, because he took over in the 13th season, and they haven't won a – they've had seven consecutive losing seasons since he's been the general manager. White Sox fans will cape for him and say, well, he really didn't take over until 16. And then they'll cop still Kenny's team or yeah. whatever. Yeah, then they'll yeah. cop out and they'll say, "Well, they're still in a re- rebuild." Like, how long do we have to be in a rebuild? Like, you compare this to the Cubs and Astros, which White Sox fans do all the time. But you know what's different about those guys? Jeff Lunau came from somebody else's mess. He came and cleaned up somebody else's mess. Same thing with Theo and Jed. They came and cleaned up somebody else's mess. Rick created this mess with Kenny and Jerry. So. The people who are making the mess are going to clean it up. I don't have trust in that. I don't have faith in that. And they say I'm such a hater because I don't believe in what Rick's doing. And see fruits, yes, Yohan's great. Yes, Tim's good. We have progression from Lucas Giolito. Uh, iffy on Lopez. But the people who are making decisions are the same people who trusted Yo- uh, Yonder Alonso to do anything this year just because he's Manny's brother-in-law. Or... Um, who they bring in? Ivan Nova has been decent, but like he's great against the Cubs for yeah, whatever oh, reason. Filthy. Um, Sandy but, Koufax against the Cubs, <laughs> but like the people who are making these personnel decisions, also the ones who thought that other people were good, that thought that uh, they should give uh, 500 bats to JB Shuck. <laughs> Anybody in the league should. Me laugh. Get, you know, these guys are not qualified for the jobs that they're doing. The only reason they're doing this because Jerry Reinsdorf is very loyal. Yes, he is. And it's a, to a fault. It's good and bad. Like both I would love Sox, to have that. Not to cut you off there, both the White Sox and the Bulls with their rebuilds and Reinsdorf own teams, maybe it's something with him that he kind of passes down in the front office. Mm-hmm. I thought the Sox could have gotten their rebuild started a couple years sooner, yes. but they made those like, let's get Frazier in here, let's get this guy in here, let's get mm-hmm. uh, Melky Cabrera in here, where you're kind of like, no, you don't need, there's no glory in winning 79 games. Where and That's what it looked like on paper. You're like, this is a 79-win team. If a couple things break their way, maybe at the trade deadline they get a guy that could make them the second wild card, perhaps, if the stars align. And that's just... that. There's just no point in that, right? And the Bulls, the same way, where it's like, how many seven picks are we going to get before you realize you need to tank, tank? Stop yes. with this, like, you got to really full-on do it. Are you not paying attention how the NBA goes? One superstar changes your dynamic. And for, for I think, because of the way the Bulls were in the past, and I don't even want to talk anymore Bulls because I know we're going to have to deal with them at some Ugh. point. And you reminded me when you said clutch in quotes. Yeah. That's going to be our first teaser for this podcast. Next week, I want to talk to you about why we think because I know you and I probably think similar. Uh-huh. I might have a little bit of a different spin on uh-huh. the whole take on clutch. Yeah. So for those of you who are not aware, in baseball, other sports are a little different because your athleticism can take over. Yeah. There's a notion that clutch really isn't a real thing. 
everything over the course will even out. Because you'll have a guy who, oh, wow, from 2012 to 2015, he batted 400 with runners in scoring position and two outs. But then this year, he batted 100. Oh, what, did he suddenly become unclutch? Yeah. Or will eventually things go to their, you know. Their natural, yeah. They'll, they'll even out. You'll go to a regression. Yes, totally. Especially if you're way too high on um, everything there. Well, these next two weeks will uh, be interesting for the Cubs and for baseball as a whole. There's some interesting playoff races. Your White Sox, though, man, I mean, they're, look, I'm going to try to, I know you're negative. I'll try mm-hmm. to give you some positive mm-hmm. about it. There are some stuff to really be pumped about. Okay. I, I think Eloy looks like he's going to be a guy that's going to hit you, especially in that ballpark, 40 oh, yeah. to 45, and who knows, even more going forward. If I'm a Sox fan, from an outsider's point of view, I definitely want a better first baseman defensively. Yes. I look to upgrade there, see what you could still get out of a brain on the trade market. I don't know what the trade market is for first baseman these days. Bad. Not great, right? Yeah. Uh, because especially since you, 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 really, you don't want two DHs out there, and Eloy's a DH. He is. I'm not saying he can't get better out there. He perhaps can. He Right now, he looks really, really bad in left field. Like we talked about Schorber earlier, the reason why he's progressed, because he was a catcher, he never really was an outfielder. Eloy's always been an outfielder. Yeah, always. Like, he's known left field and how balls play off of that. He's not getting better. He's terrible at it. Like, maybe next year he's less terrible, but he's still going to be terrible because his reads are horrible. His, his, um, his IQ of... Where the ball should go after a hit is it's lost. And why risk the injury? Yeah. He's a bat. You traded for his bat. So why risk the injury? And that and that's the two times he got injured this year is because he's playing outfield. Because he's not calling off guys or not listening to guys who are center fielders who got the ball and he's um you know, running into them. That's I think he did that with Charlie Tilson. Charlie yeah. Tilson soon got sent down. Yeah, yeah, because you're messing with the future franchise player. Yeah, so there's definitely some pieces there, so I, that's what I'd look for. I, I think a second starter would be great. I don't recall you guys ever spending big money on a free agent starter, though. No, Jerry Reinsdorf has a philosophy you don't pay pitchers more than five years on a long-term deal. So that's it. I mean, he's right, but also we're the White Sox, so we need – unless we're developing a lot of pitchers, which we're not. I mean, we've done well with Quintana, Sale, all those guys. But are we keeping these guys? Are we? Uh, are they at the top of the league when, when we have them and ready to compete? No. So Garrett Cole's going to need that money. If we're not and offering more than six years, we're out of the race him. initially. We're going to downshift to somebody like Jake Odorizzi. Fine, but that can't be our number one. Lucas Giolito He's an ace, yeah. could be a number one. But You want to see two more. You want to see a, a second great year before yeah. you really are going to tie your But they're going to say, well, we are getting back Kopech, then we're getting back Dane Dunning, and so we only need Jake Odorizzi to be the fourth guy in this lineup. We already got Lopez, and we're going to bring back Nova. That's the type of garbage the White Sox do. I mean, that's like, a lot I, of ifs. Yeah, a I don't know if ifs. you watch uh, Breaking Bad ever. Oh yeah, I'm one of my favorite shows of all time. Okay, there was a famous scene. One of my fa- my favorite scenes in there is Mike Amontrout talking about half measures. Yes, great that whole scene. that whole never speech. again. <laughs> yes, that's what the White Sox do. Like when you're talking about the White Sox should have tanked years before, I always use that quote of the White Sox being in between. They're like, you know what? If we get this guy, this guy, this guy, we can kind of compete. Or if we can tank, or if we go into rebuild, we'll still get some guys, and we won't tank all the way. We'll, we're tanking, but we're not tanking all the way. That's what the White Sox are. They're a the bunch of half measures. Go all the way. If we're tanking, we're tanking. If we're competing, go all the way. Next year should be a competing year. So go all the way. We should have got Manny Machado. We should have got Bryce Harper. We should have got um, 
Uh, the guy in Atlanta. Um, Donaldson? No, the pitcher uh, that's from the Astros. Oh, Keiko. Yeah, we should have got Keiko. He's, uh, I think, available next year uh, with a player option out of Atlanta. So we should have got him. We should have got anybody we wanted to because they had the most money. But we don't get these people because we have a bunch of half measures. We're wanting to compete, but we also want to compete at our level instead of knowing who the hell we are as White Sox. And people don't want to come here. You have to overpay those people for them to come to the White Sox. There will be a time if you win a couple championships where people are like, I want to come to the White Sox. Yeah, I want to be in that culture. I mean, who wants to play in Foxborough, uh, Massachusetts before, what, 1995? Yeah, I mean, you could change a culture fairly quick. Like, they've been – You're willing to show that you'll spend. And with pitcher contracts, I think as – you have to accept it. Like John Lester, even if he hasn't been good this year, next year probably not that better. I hope he yeah. proves me wrong. But you have to accept the fact that you're signing a pitcher at the age of 30 yes. to a six-year deal. You're happy to get four really good years, and the last two, if they're bad, that's just the price you pay. Exactly. It's that's what you. you ha- that's what I was saying about Manny Machado. It's like you get six good years out of that contract, the 10-year contract. It's paid for itself. Easily. Especially and it'll if, attract other people. Yes, and John Lesser is a, the hundred percent example you just used right there. He's not that good this year, but you paid him early when he was 31. 31, 32, 33, and thirty-four were filthy. You got what you wanted out of John Lester. And he brought some of his friends with him. John Lackey got you some some delicious uh wins, and I hate him, but he <laughs> gave you some good innings and he he was had a long memory, and he gonna hit somebody if he disrespect him. But that man performed when he needed to perform. So did John Lester. Did John Lackey turn Lester into a cowboy? I'll, we'll end on this too. John Lester, who I like a lot, yes. he's got a good cancer charity, and he's he's a good pitcher. He's intense out there. Um, you, you'd like a smile here and there, but that's some, some people are the way they are, and that's fine. He has the whole cowboy motif going on. Yeah. He was born and raised in Spokane, Washington. Exactly. I looked it up and I'm like, did he go to high school or was he just born in Washington and then moved to like Georgia? No, first 18 years of his life in Washington. Then was drafted out of high school with the Red Sox. Yes. And I don't think they have any real deep South minor league affiliates. No, I think they have a Florida team and then they like in low A and then you go up to Paw Sox. Yeah. And then I don't know if everything about him, it just screams, I'm from Texas or Alabama. And I'm like, how? How did that happen? Yeah. And I don't understand why he lives in the suburbs of Atlanta. That's a weird thing from a guy who. Spent most of his career in Boston, was raised in Spokane, Washington, and yeah, that's a weird. He should be like place a to, grunge kid, you yeah. know what I mean? Like I understand most of the people live in Arizona. That's because you know the, the fields there. That's where they spring training for most of the people. It's a nice atmosphere for baseball players. You can play all year round. But yeah, Atlanta's a weird place, and him to be all country. Yeah, it I'd like seems to ask weird. him that one day. I'd ask him with respect. Just being like, what's with the country thing? Would you just get really into a Garth Brooks album and that just changed your whole wardrobe? And that's what's happening here, you know? And maybe his dad's from uh, somewhere down there. You know, I was listening to, to Oasis a lot. I started wearing a parka, so I understand how it really could affect <laughs> your mind. Well, I'm Joe Kilgallen, everybody. This has been the first episode of Seven Seven Three Sports. Um, I'm a stand-up comedian here in Chicago. I, I, we wait till the end to tell the people about ourselves um, i perform all over the country you can check out my youtube channel i post a ton of stand-up clips on there lately including my latest album um so it's, it's just joe slash youtube kilgallen k-i-l gallon and then i'm uh, herb tell me a little bit about yourself i'm a producer here at the score in chicago sports radio station uh, i work at night so the best sports radio station so it's the cubs or it's joe ostrowski show or julius 
the Carol show, and then in the fall it'll be the Bulls ruining my life. Even though the <laughs> broadcast is fun, I love Chuck and Bill. They're great, yeah, they are. The actual Bulls and their being bad at basketball is not fun for me. Um, but I'm not a Bulls fan, so that you know that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, Ectorwall23. It's Lawrence spelled backwards. Two three is for Robin Ventura. He was a great player. Great follow on Twitter. Terrible, terrible, terrible manager. But whatever. <laughs> I don't think managers are that important. But yes, I did listen to your album. I actually purchased it. I was there for one of the tapings. You were. And then secondly, I, that. I have watched your YouTube clips, and uh, yeah, the people are feeling it. Then, yeah, I've been really, I've been really pumped up with the way it's been. It's been a crazy, like uh, a little less than two months since I started doing this, and people are responding. So uh, hopefully, you guys listening can check it out as well. And I will fix that loose cord that I'm hearing. Hopefully, <laughs> that's just in our headphones and not the actual recording. Yeah. But everyone, this has been the first episode of Seven Seven Three Sports. You'll be hearing us every week. We'll be recapping the Bears and then talking about all things Chicago sports and sports in general, whatever happening. You know, we'll talk about how California wants to pay college athletes and how Tim Tebow doesn't agree with that Ugh. and other such things like that. Ugh is right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right that's, uh, that's been 773 Sports. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.